Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison as we continue to study the New Testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as and as to pertaining to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He sits enthroned at the right hand of our Heavenly Father in splendor and glory. He is our Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Savior, our all. Let's look and study more about our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking today at the Gospel of John in chapter 1. Uh, this is the uh, famous uh, Hologos uh, episodes. And uh, so let's take a look here and uh, and see what we can find out. So uh, what we want to do here in, uh, in John, now we'll be looking at the JST translation uh, for the first half or so of this. Those of you who don't have the JST, don't know what it is, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, just, uh, you know, continue to follow the best you can. It will sound a little bit different than what you're used to or maybe even what you have uh, there in front of you. But let's go ahead and uh, if you had a JST, let's take a look at, uh, at the JST. Uh, that would be, uh, um, you know, towards the end of the uh, Bible dictionary uh, portion of your scriptures. Let's look at uh, John chapter 1. In verse 1 through 34, and it says, In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son. So the beginning, through the beginning, the beginning of this world, uh, or at least as far as the Bible is concerned, starting with Adam's family, uh, beginning with Adam, Adam preached Jesus Christ. Uh, he was then followed later on by other prophets, including among those uh, Noah and Abraham and Moses. And on down, who Isaiah, all who, who testified of Jesus Christ, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel was the Word. <laughs> so a lot of people think that, that the Son of God was the Word, but no, the gospel is the Word. Makes sense, right? Word, gospel, right? The, the message, right? And the Word was with the Son, right? It's his gospel. He he ordained that gospel. He ordained the plan of salvation uh, for this uh, for this world, for uh, his uh, spiritual sons and daughters. And the word was with the son, and the son was with God, and the son was of God. So same, uh, uh, same material body that Jesus Christ has is same as the father, made of the same physical substance, the same physical uh, substance composing physical bodies made of that same physical body that Jesus rose from the dead with, that he could say to his apostles, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have a body of flesh and bones as you see that I have. And the son was with God from the beginning, right? He's always existed. He was first an in intelligence created into a spiritual son of our Heavenly Father, then came to earth, got his physical permanent body with which he rose from the dead and showed unto his apostles. The same was in the beginning with God, right? As intelligence, intelligence we learn from Dr. Cummins cannot be created or made, it's always existed. Mankind, we read, was also in the beginning with God as intelligences before we were then created as spiritual children of our Heavenly Father, and we came to this earth to receive our physical bodies. 
all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made which was made. So there's the key point of this uh, doctrine here the verse, at the end of verse 3. And without him was not anything made which was made, right? If it was, if it's something capable of being made or capable of being created, then Jesus Christ, under the direction of his of the Heavenly Father, created it. But for things that are not created nor made, he did not create such things, right? So that's very important here, right? He did not create all all things, right? He created all things that were able to be created. That's a big difference. In verse 4, in him was the gospel, and the gospel was the life. It gives life to mankind. Resurrection hope, uh, hope of exaltation and salvation, and returning to live an eternal life with our Heavenly Father. And the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in the world, and the world perceived it not. So the light being the, here, the gospel, Jesus Christ, always been taught, but mankind and the world has consistently rejected the message of the gospel. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came into the world for a witness, to bear witness of the light, to bear record of the gospel through the Son, unto all that through him man might believe. And we read that that all of Jerusalem and all of Israel believed him, right? He, he was very successful. He was a very successful preacher. He, he taught the truth, God's truth, right? He didn't shy away from it. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't, uh, uh, he didn't fear, uh, um, you know, political correctness, you know. He taught the truth, right? And therefore, the people believed him, right? He was then hated by the leaders. That's what always happens. But the people believed, right? Verse 7, the same came into the world for a witness, to bear witness of the light, to bear regular the gospel through the Son, and to all that through him man might believe. He was not that light. John the Baptist was not that light. But he came to bear witness of that light. John came as the forerunner of Jesus Christ to bear witness of Jesus Christ, that the one that was coming after him would be that prophet from Deuteronomy 18, the great prophet they were waiting, that would be like unto Moses, right? Only better, the Son of God. Going to the next verse, in verse 9, which was the true light. Jesus Christ is the true light, which lighteth every man who cometh into the world, right? Through the Spirit, uh, through the uh, light of Christ. Uh, the conscience, some people refer to this as conscience. All mankind are given this light of Christ, this conscience to know right from wrong so that they have no excuse when they go to the day of judgment and they're judged according to their works, as the book of Revelation said. Verse 10, even the Son of God, he who was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not, right? Even though he, now here we're talking about, remember the difference between an earth and the world, right? The world are people who belong to the planet Earth, right? So when you talk about worlds without number, you're talking about many generations of people that lived on this Earth, right? So Jesus created the worlds, plural, meaning that, you know, he helped create physical bodies uh, for Heavenly Father, spirit children to come down and inhabit 
over the course of many generations on this earth. He's created worlds without number, many generations, thousands and you know of years, right? He says that in verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not, right? He even came to his Jewish people, and they rejected him, right? They didn't know him. In verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, only to them who believe on his name. So only those can become the sons of God who actually believe on his name, actually believe in Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus, the one that has a resurrected body of flesh and bones. You believe on that Jesus, he's given you power to become the sons of God. I won't talk about what that means at, at this point in time. I pray that God will enlighten those of you who have the spiritual capacity and the spiritual understanding to understand the great significance of that verse of scripture and what that truly means. Let's go to 13 here. He was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's the literal son of God. Jesus Christ had a father, God the Father, his mother Mary, right? But through his father, it was not of human, right? Not of uh, the will of the flesh, not of blood, but by God, right? God does not have a body of flesh. God has a body of flesh and bones. He does not have blood, right? He has some sort of physical substance in place of that blood with which he doesn't have to die. Uh, let's look at uh, 14. And the same word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ dwelt among us, right? John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This is he, this is the one to whom I spoke. He who cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. For in the beginning was the word, even the Son, who has made flesh, and sent unto us by the will of the Father. And as many as believe on his name shall receive of his fullness. Now we read in the, in the epistles of Paul that Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of his heavenly Father and received all things that his Father possesses. If Jesus Christ received the possession of all things that his Father possesses, and it says that we shall have the fullness of, of uh, well, that we should also receive of his fullness, meaning all things that the Father has, right? So become equal with Jesus, equal with God in sharing the things of which they have possession above all thrones, principalities, dominions, and so forth. And of his fullness have we all received even immortality and eternal life. You can live forever in eternal life in the eternal family unit. 17, for the law was given through Moses, but life and truth came through Jesus Christ. For the law was after a carnal commandment to the administration of death, right? The penalty of sin is death. Once you sin, you die spiritually and physically, right? But Jesus Christ has erased both physical and uh, and spiritual death for those who believe in him and come unto him. The gospel was after the power of an endless life through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, 
19, and no man has seen God at any time except he hath borne record of the Son. For except that it's through him, no man can be saved. No man can be saved except to be through Jesus Christ. God himself has never appeared to any person on this earth unless he's come to bear witness that Jesus is his only begotten son and to listen to Jesus, right? Uh, verse 20, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed, and he didn't deny it that he that he was the was Elias, but confessed, saying, I am not the Christ. So I'm not the Messiah. He didn't deny that that he was Elias, right? He was already, it had already been foretold about his birth that he would go in the spirit of uh, of Elias and prepare the way uh, before the Lord. So he didn't deny that, uh, but he said he wanted to make it clear to all those that he is not the Messiah. 22, and they asked him, saying, how then are you Elias? And he said, I am not that Elias who was who was to restore all things. So I'm Elias that came to prepare the way before the Lord. I am not that Elijah who came to restore all things. That was to restore all things, bringing back the re restoration of the gospel in the latter days, in the 1800s, in preparation for the return of Jesus Christ to reign on this earth as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they asked him, saying, Art thou the, that prophet from Deuteronomy 18? That'd be like Moses. And he said, No. 23, then uh, said they unto him, Well, then who are you? That we may give an answer to those that sent us. What do you say of yourself? He said, I am. And then he quotes Isaiah here, right? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. And they who were with uh, and they who were sent were of the Pharisees. So now the, the Pharisees sent some. And they asked him and said to him, why are you baptizing then if you are not the Messiah? Uh, nor Elias, who was to restore all things, neither that prophet. And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is of whom I bear record. He is that prophet, even Elias, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose, or whose place I'm not able to fill. For he shall baptize not only with water, but with fire and with the Holy Ghost. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Now, it's significant here, right? Because some people misunderstand the atonement of Jesus Christ and they think that Jesus somehow magically died for every single person on the earth who has ever lived on the earth, who lives now, whoever will live on the earth, and that he paid the penalty of every one of their little individual uh, sins that they would that they would commit. Uh, that is absolutely incorrect, false uh, false doctrine. Jesus died for the sin singular of the world. He enabled through his uh, suffering, his death and crucifixion, and his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, to enable the repentance process, so that we can repent to God, ask for forgiveness of the sins that we have committed, and you will be forgiven by God, right? 
but not because Jesus somehow magically paid the price of all the sins ever committed by every individual uh, throughout the history of the world, uh, you know, because otherwise, well, what if he, you know, well, what if what if somebody, you know, he's supposed to have free agency also, right? So what happens if, after all, Johnny decided to steal that candy bar, but Jesus thought he was going to use a free agency not to steal a candy bar. Well, now Jesus had to get back on the cross, die again, you know, in order to pay the price for, for Johnny deciding after all to, to steal that candy bar. So that's all absolutely nonsense, uh, r- r- ridiculous uh, uh, <laughs> doctrine, right? Jesus suffered, which enabled a process, a repentance process, so that we can repent and receive forgiveness of our sins. That's why in the scriptures, it's singular. Die for the sin of the world. Singular, right? Okay, let's see. Where do we leave off there? He says, um, take away the sin of the world in verse 29, verse 30. And John bear record of him unto the people, saying, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him, and that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. I, I knew he was coming. He's my cousin after all. I knew he'd begin his ministry at any time. Therefore I came baptizing, trying to preach repentance to the people, prepare them to receive their king. And in verse 31, and John bear record saying, when he was baptized of me, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. and it abode upon him, right? Now, uh, that's interesting, right? Because the JST keeps that language, doesn't it? A lot of people will see, you know, this is not one of these, uh, out of hundreds of references, uh, you know, in the scriptures, in the Old and New Testament, to whatever these vehicles are, these flying vehicles, the physical objects that the angels and God travel in, coming back and forth. They're often described as clouds, Obviously, we know clouds don't transport people, right? So when the scriptures talk about, you know, Numbers 12, for example, where God comes down in the cloud and then talks to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, right? Descends back up into the cloud. It's not an actual fluffy white thing that you see outside the window, right? These are flying vehicles. We see from uh, Psalm 68, uh, 17, that God had 20,000 of these uh, flying vehicles, right? Now, that was in the days of the Psalms, right, 3,000 years ago. So maybe they've been building more, right? So you don't know how many he's got. But again, so they, they've seen this, right? Because the Holy Spirit is what? A spirit. Can you see the Holy Ghost? No, absolutely not, right? So they think that, so some people, and I'm not I'm not sure on this particular passage what's going on, but there's some that we'll see in this, one of these UFOs again, unidentified flying objects, that the spirit descending, you know, he's seeing a physical object. That That's for sure, right? He's seeing, because he can't see the Holy Ghost, it's the Spirit. But he's seeing this physical object comes down and somehow abides on Jesus. Jesus, I guess, goes up or whatever into this new thing, right? He's then led off to, uh, you know, in this thing to then be uh, 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, right? So it somehow does transport Jesus, this Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit thing that John's seeing here, which he can't see the Holy Ghost because it's the Spirit. Whatever flying object this thing is, seems to be that it might be, again, now we just went 400 years between the Old and the New Testaments, but we're going to start getting the, these objects again flying around in the New Testament. 
We're going to have this later on in the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, in Matthew 17, where the cloud comes, you know, upon the top of the mountain when Jesus is transfigured with Peter, James, and John. God speaks out of the cloud. <laughs> Obviously, we know clouds don't speak, right? You don't, you don't hear God's voice coming out of a cloud, right? So there's some sort of uh, flying object again being described by the cloud because they don't have the vocabulary, you know, to to you know. As, to describe it, so they have to call it clouds or chariots. Are usually the two most ways that they're uh, that they're described here. So it's interesting here in the baptism, uh, but uh, John does apparently see something descending like a dove. You know, it has you know, and it seems to be you know. In fact, he can see it. it's a physical object, right? Seeing something come down, he doesn't know what to call it, so he's calling it the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. We know what do we know about the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, just fly down and, and just, you know, this is just fly down on, on top of your head? No. How, how is the Holy Ghost given? By the laying on of hands by those who hold the priest and authority of God, right? For Jesus to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, he would need to have hands laid on his head, you know, to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which would not be a flying object that you're able to see with the with the naked physical eye, right? You cannot see that uh, transference of the Holy Ghost coming upon uh, somebody here, as John seems to do. So clearly it's not the way you receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, two, the fact that John sees it seems to be some sort of flying object. And it's interesting that the JST does not remove it. He has a chance here, didn't he? Joe Smith had a chance to remove this. If this isn't true, what they're seeing in all these uh, visions and revelations and uh, spiritual experiences, he could have cut it out, right? Of John uh, chapter one, he did not do that. He left it in here, right? Okay, so now we go on to, and it's even questionable whether Jesus would even need to have the Holy Ghost, anyways, right? Jesus, is the second person of the uh, of the Godhead, uh, uh, does he really need to have a lesser, you know, a lesser member of the Godhood to to be his constant companion, right? We know he's often praying to his Father in heaven, right? I think his father was probably his his comforter, right? Not, not he didn't need the Holy Ghost, right? Okay, so uh, we continue on here and uh, uh, thirty-one again. And John bear record saying, "When he was baptizing me, I saw the Spirit descending from the heaven like a dove." Right? He saw something. He saw some sort of flying object comes down. Jesus goes up in and flies off. He's tempted in the wilderness. You know, spends forty days. And gets tempted in the wilderness. And I knew him from, uh, for he who sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, descending and remaining on him, the same as he who baptized with the Holy Ghost, right? So, John, uh, even though you knew Jesus, you, it wasn't revealed to you yet by the power of the Holy Ghost. It will be revealed to you by the power of the Holy Ghost who the Messiah is, who will be, who will baptize with water and by the, the spirit. Uh, and how you'll know that is you'll see this thing descend upon him, remain on him because it's going to transport him away from the water while he'll be in the wilderness for 40 days. Okay, so he says, yeah, I, and so I saw it, right? In 33, and I saw it and bear record that this is the son of God because I saw this object descend from the heavens and remain upon Jesus. Therefore, I know he's the son of God, as God had told me, that whoever I see this thing descend upon, 
that he is the Messiah. He's the one to baptize with fire. 34, these things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Okay, so that's JST. Kept it in there, didn't he, guys? Uh, let's look now at John. Uh, let's go back now to John chapter 1 in our King James Version or New King James Version, if you're using that, or other translations work as well. But uh, the ones that I know most of you are using would be either King James or New King James. Uh, but let's go now to John 1, and we'll pick back up here in verse 30, uh, 35. And he says here, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, right? So John's standing with two of his disciples. Here comes Jesus. Here we go. And looking upon Jesus in 36, as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God, right? And the two disciples heard him speak, and immediately they felt the Holy Ghost, as the Holy Ghost always bears witness to the truth. So somebody bears and, de and declares that Jesus is the Lord or Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Holy Ghost will speak to the hearts and souls of those thereby that, that they will feel it and know of the truthfulness thereof. That's why these two immediately, uh, uh, John and Andrew, immediately go on now and follow Jesus, right? They just, they're convicted now by the Holy Ghost that what John had just prophesied, behold, the Lamb of God. That is true. So they leave John now to go become followers of Jesus. Then Jesus turns around, right, and sees them. They're literally walking after Jesus. And he says unto them, well, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which, you know, means teacher or, you know, master or this kind of thing. Uh, where are you staying? He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He's going to become one of the original 12 apostles. He first goes and he finds his brother Simon. We looked at this last week with the shepherds, right? Uh, how do you know someone's truly converted to the gospel? They immediately want to go share the gospel with others. They go and they want to share it with their family, their relatives, their friends. And they just want to share the gospel because they've experienced the joy of full conversion, of coming unto Jesus Christ. And so they are they're joyful and happy, and they want others to share in that same joy. And so here Andrew found the Messiah. What do I do? I got to go run off and tell my brother Peter, right? And so in verse 41, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We've done it. We've done it. We've found the Messiah, which is being interpreted. The Christos or the Christ here, the Christ anointed one in Greek, a Messiah, Messiah in Hebrew. So they both mean the same thing. Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ means the same thing, just two different languages. And Simon and, uh, and Andrew brings Simon Peter to Jesus in verse 42. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, You are Simon the son of Jonah. You will be called. Cephas, which is a stone, right? The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. And he saith unto him, follow me. So the next day he goes, he sees Philip, another fisherman. Hey, Philip, come follow me. And he follows him. And so what does Philip do? He, he goes and finds Nathaniel, right? 
Nathaniel is only mentioned here in the Gospel of John, but he goes and finds Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Wow, powerful. What again does this prove, right? Should we read this once again? End of verse 45. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? Well, where is that found? Where is it? Show me where that is, right? We don't have that in the verse of scripture, right? That's, you know, they said that Moses wrote about it. Well, where, where did Moses mention Jesus, son of, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, son of Joseph, right? This is clearly lost scripture. This has been cut out by the great and abominable church, just as the Book of Mormon tells us in First Nephi that, that they did. They cut out these precious, plain and precious truths. Here's proof right here that that happened, right? They cut it out. They cut it out because they mentioned Jesus by name. Moses mentioned Jesus by name, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the son of Joseph. Because of that, the great and abominable church cut it out, right? So we don't have that verse of scripture in the books of uh, Moses. But according here, according to John, it was there at some point in time, right? It was there. And, and Andrew knew about it. And Philip knew about it. Nathaniel knew about it. And, you know, they, they all knew about it, right? In verse 46, and Nathaniel said unto him, Can there anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto to him, Just come and see. So we got a couple of things here with verse 46, right? Now Nathaniel also knows that the Messiah would come forth from Bethlehem. Right? Come forth from, you know, according to Micah 5, 2. But here you're telling me, we found Jesus of Nazareth. I know you just said that Moses prophesied of it, but then, but then on the secondary way, he's thinking that you know, first of all, the the uh, people in Jerusalem viewed Galilee as the you know this really a poor uh, uh, outskirt area. You know, nothing good comes out of Galilee. But then the Galileans had even a low opinion of Nazareth. So so even even on the secondary, it's like okay, well maybe. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was born in Bethlehem or something. And but but the fact that Moses prophesied about Jesus of Nazareth, but yet can it really be true? Can somebody good really come out of Nazareth? Right? Just out of his good heart, as we see here in a in a moment with Jesus. Right? Jesus saw Nathaniel in forty seven, coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed. In whom is no guile, right? No deceit, to no, no, no fraud. You know, he's a very pure-hearted man, this Nathaniel. And so then Nathaniel said unto him, Jesus, how do you know me, right? Jesus answered and said to him, and he shows his his all-knowing power here. Here's a, his omniscience. Before Philip called you, uh, when I when you were under the fig tree, I saw you under the fig tree, right? So then he knew is that he had godly knowledge here because nobody, how could Jesus know he was sitting under the fig, fig tree before Philip called him? Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, it's, it's only, you know, is it because I, I said that I saw you under the fig tree that you believe that you believe. 
you shall yet see even greater things than this. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto here, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He uses the Son of Man uh, something like 58 times in the Gospels, uh, several times here in the Gospel of John. It seems to be his preferred title. He calls himself the Son of Man more than any other name. Uh, he's saying you should see the, the angels descending upon the Son of Man. This is reference, of course, to Jacob's ladder in which Jacob saw the ladder going up to heaven and saw the angels uh, uh, ascending and descending on this ladder. Uh, you know, you, you will receive uh, Nathaniel through supernatural knowledge, through revelations and visions. You will see the angels, uh, uh, you know, coming, descending upon me, and you will truly know, not only through the gift of the Holy Ghost, which you just declared, you know that I'm the Son of God and the King of Israel, but you will see it with your own eyes and vision, and we'll see many wonderful visions and revelations. So what a great way here to, um, to end John uh, chapter 1. Uh, it's been a, a great uh, lesson once again uh, here. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, just like they had an opportunity, right? Jesus extends the same opportunity to all of you today. Just as he went forward and said, hey, you know, come follow me, believe on my name, and I can bless you and open the visions of heaven uh, to you and let you return to live with my Father in heaven for, from whom, from where I just came from. You know, he gives that opportunity to all of you today, those of you who are not yet members of the church. He extends the invitation to come unto him and be saved. Come unto him and start the road back towards exaltation to uh, be able to climb that Jacob's ladder and return to live with our Heavenly Father. Those of you not yet members of the church, we'll leave in the um, description of this video a link. Uh, all you need to do is click on that link, contact the missionaries, let them know you're ready and willing to take upon you the name of Jesus Christ, and they will help you become baptized by those who actually hold the praise and authority of God, just like the John the Baptist did. And they will baptize you by immersion going underneath the water and back out symbolizing the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ just as john we just saw john doing in the uh, river jordan uh, baptizing for the uh, by immersion for the remission of sins so that you can receive a full pardon a full forgiveness of your sins and receive god's blessings once again in your life both in this life and in the world to come for those of you not, uh, who've fallen in activity in the church, we welcome you with wide open arms to come back, come back and be a member of the community of God, uh, congregations of God, uh, become part of the saints of God once again so you can help and share with each other that great joyful uh, hap and happiness that comes from being part of God's people and to have that and have taken upon you the name of Jesus Christ. Be able to know that that you are a Christian. You're an anointed one as you've received the anointing of the Holy Ghost after your baptism uh, become, and taken upon you the name of Jesus Christ and that you're a heir of salvation, a heir of all things that Jesus Christ possesses and that he inherited all things from his heavenly Father. So it can be yours. Just come on back, reach out to your bishop, your elders quorum president, Relief Society president, Whoever you can, just reach out, grab their arm, and say, help me come back 
and they'll do everything they can to help you. And uh, and so we, we leave with you this uh, challenge, this invitation uh, directly from the Lord to partake of the, these blessings, either by becoming a member of his church and kingdom for the first time or coming back to his church and kingdom. In closing, once again, we testify these things. We ask God to pour out his blessings upon you. May you always have food to eat. May you have safe shelter overhead. May he open the ways and remove obstacles from you in your life to help you to accomplish his will for your life and to help you go through the experiences that you need to grow to grow and to develop and become conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Of that, we bless you with and pray God's blessings upon you and testify of the truthfulness of these things as one of his witnesses. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.